The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. And welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. If you're a regular, oh, bless your heart for being a regular. And if you're brand new, welcome. And if you're brand new to being vegan or looking into the vegan lifestyle, welcome double. We are happy to have you, happy to be here to answer any of your questions. If you happen to be listening live, you can just call us up, 816-347-5519. After the break, I will be bringing on the intersectionality rock star, Christopher Sebastian McJetters. And right now, it is my honor and privilege to introduce you to someone I have admired for the longest time with a topic we really need to be looking at and discussing with eyes wide open and great love all round, and she is Anne Sullivan, a communications and publicity consultant based in New York City, a longtime vegan and social justice activist. She's worked with many of her heroes during the past 16 years that she spent publicizing books, films, and mission-driven nonprofits and businesses. Anne has scheduled her clients for uh, interviews on this program many times, and today she she joins us to share what she is, has learned after recently experiencing a health crisis. Welcome, Ann Sullivan. Thank you, Victoria. It's so nice to be here with you. Well, it's wonderful to speak with you. I did not know until we saw one another at Dr. Neil Barnard's CD launch uh, that you had uh, dealt with a health crisis recently. Um, tell us what happened. Uh, so that's right. I hadn't broadcast it, uh, because I was just still dealing with the, um, the surprise of my diagnosis. So I had been, um, kept, uh, on, uh, basically I'd had doctors who had been watching me pretty closely because of my mom's history with breast cancer. So she survived. She had a single, uh, mastectomy and she survived. And it never uh, went in. It was always in remission. She never had it um, a reoccurrence. So uh, I had always been my my that history had always been taken very seriously by doctors. And so for since probably the age of thirty, I had been in and out getting um, mammograms and that sort of thing. And so I was used to 
you know, the, the radiologist spotting something on, on the images. And um, the most recent time, this was in August of this past year, 2016, um, they detected something and I was ready to sort of like, you know, roll my eyes and move on, but this was a little different. And so because of the way that it, it looked and the imaging that I saw, I realized it was, it was something pretty different in this case, a calcification versus just an, a lump that I've dealt with over the years. Um, and so I went ahead and got it biopsied. Um, and so about a week later, I got a diagnosis of breast cancer. So the idea had always been there because of my mom's history, because of her aunt's history, because of my father's aunt's history. But I thought, well, I'll keep this at bay because I'm a longtime vegan um, with a healthy lifestyle. And so it was a surprise, but I can't say that it was a shock. So then what happened? So I went in for the biopsies. They biopsied the other side. Um, again, if you have family history, you know, you are, you are treated very seriously. Your case is treated very seriously. So the second biopsy was all clear. It was just one side we were dealing with. So then I went through... Uh, a couple months of many doctor's appointments, doing a ton of research, um, going to places like nutritionfacts.org and Forks Over Knives um, and other sort of alternative medical information, seeking that out um, to complement what I was learning about the Western medicine approach. So I consulted with three um, breast surgeons and they, for the most part, recommended a single mastectomy, um, which is what my mother had had. And so I took it a step further, and after doing all this research, I decided to get a double mastectomy as a prevention, as a preventative uh, approach to this disease. And you decided not to do the replacement I, I don't even right. know. So I didn't, term. right. That was a, that's a whole nother part of this whole process. But what's interesting is that it's not at all, um, there's no medical reason to do it. And yet it was a conversation that every doctor uh, had with me. So regardless of the fact that it wouldn't, this reconstruction wouldn't make me a healthier person or give me a longer life. It was included in this discussion with all three doctors because it's something that many women do. So I did my research and I decided that the extra, because it does require additional surgeries, it requires additional recovery, um, there are more complications, and I just felt that it wasn't the right choice for me because I wanted to, you know, get rid of the cancer, remove it from my body, recover as, as fast as I could, and move on. And so that's what I did. And that is precisely what you did. You, you had an <laughs> yes. incredibly swift recovery, and you have some ideas about why that was. Uh, right. So the a couple of reasons. The doctors expected... I think the doctors are so used to doing reconstruction, if not them, then they're plastic surgeons that they work with. Um, I think one doctor told me about 80% of her patients did choose reconstruction in some capacity. Um, that could be in the form of implants. That could be in the form of a flap surgery where they take tissue from your stomach and move it up or other parts of your body and move it into to replace the breast tissue. And this is not an augmentation. This is you know, you're, you're building up from nothing after the mastectomy. So most doctors were sort of expecting me to choose this, and um, I chose not to, and that made my recovery so much easier. There, was, there were no expanders, you know, in, implanted under my chest muscle. There was, which require uh, being filled with uh, fluids, every week or so until they're removed surgically and then the implants themselves are inserted in that place. So with all, without all of that, I had one recovery, one surgery, which led to one recovery. Mm. So I think, and right, so I would go to my doctors and they go, oh, you're looking great. And, you know, I had my range of motion 
back pretty quickly. I did a couple rounds of physical therapy for that specifically. But also I think because, and I heard this from doctors, because I was quote-unquote healthy to start out with before the surgery, I was active, I had a good diet, then the recovery itself was easier because they Mm -hmm. weren't dealing with, okay, how do we do this? with, you know, considering her diabetes or how do we do this considering, you know, she's got the stint or stent in, in her heart, that sort of thing. So I just, it was actually probably one of the easier cases that they had because there were no other issues that they needed to address. So the whole point here is I was surprised as a longtime vegan to get this diagnosis but in thinking, having, you know, now I'm out about four months from surgery and recovery. Now I'm looking back and, and I realized, so I got it. There's, you know, genetics play a huge part. And I know we all work very hard to try to control that risk. Um, and so just coming from a place of good health otherwise, it just was easier to bounce back from this experience. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're talking about it is really wonderful because I think vegans, oh my gosh, when we get sick, and we do get sick, we're not super people, we're embarrassed and ashamed Mm, and we feel mm -hmm. that if we tell anybody about it, it's going to look bad for veganism. Mm -hmm. And yet, if we want to grow and attract everybody, you know what? We're all mortal. That's the one thing we share and we're going to get sick sometimes before the last time. So I think we, we just need to say, okay, look, we have great statistical probabilities and sometimes we're outside of the probabilities. So you, Anne, have worked on some really big books in the vegan world. Uh, Rich Roll's Finding Ultra, the first two Forks Over Knives books. You did uh, How Not to Die, <laughs> for heaven's sakes, uh, for Dr. Michael <laughs> Greger and Gene Stone. So how did what you learn help you? And was there any part of it that made this process more difficult? Um, well, it's interesting because those are the sources I went to immediately as part of my research. Um, and Dr. Gregor on nutritionfacts.org, his website has, uh, numerous resources. I was just watching a video about, um, that, about soy and breast cancer, um, debunking this myth out there that soy causes breast cancer. Um, and, all of his work is based on medical research. So it's almost a, it's a you know, it's a, it's a one-stop shop it's a, it's a, to stop for this sort of, you know, information as a resource. I went to Forks Over Knives. I read about somebody, a woman who had been diagnosed, and after treatment she switched to a plant-based diet, and um, she was, you know, doing so well, blogging about her experience. She had transitioned, I think, after her diagnosis, which is common. So it's interesting to me personally to learn the stories of people who have been longtime vegans and do get sick because, like you said, it does happen. So let's be honest. Let's be honest about how to talk about it, how to address it in our own lives, how to make sure we're getting the help we need instead of retreating into a place of shame and denial. Um, So, you know, that I was very conscious of that as well. The last thing I wanted to tell my doctors <laughs> is that they had a long-time vegan patient who, you know, came in with this diagnosis. But um, it was pre- the consensus that I, I got is no one was, re- was ready. None of the people I spoke to in the medical community were ready to write this diet off. They weren't ready to write this lifestyle off. Um, they're all, I just get the sense of that it's really an epidemic. They see so many women. Um, they see women who are thin, who are in shape. They, they see some women who are um, overweight, who are healthy. So, again, it's just there's just not this one um, size fits all approach. And that nuance, I think, is important. And I think what you're getting at as well is by opening up this dialogue, by this conversation, we can really think about it and assess our own potential risks by looking at our family history, which is so deeply important. I got a full genetic, um, full genetic testing done. 
And that's important for people to understand because women who do uh, test positive for the BRCA genes, there's two genes, one and two, um, it does make them wildly, wildly at risk for breast and uterine cancer. I tested positive for neither. Um, but this is information people should know. So instead of retreating to a place of, um, you know, assuming that kale is going to save us all, while it's a good step, being very honest and getting regular checkups. So if there's anything I can impart to to people listening, it's just to take, to get yourself checked um, while approaching, you know, your diet, your lifestyle as a preventative um, way to stay healthy, um, to not get sick, to also use those resources that we have, testing, you know, have regular check, get regular checkups. Your doctor might not understand your diet, but it's important for you to know what's going on. Mm. So, Anne, and, and thank you so, so much. Thank you for, for sharing all this. Thank you for the resources that you sent, which I will post on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So I know that this experience has changed you physically, but in our last minute here, how about mentally? Are there changes that you've made or that you plan to make going forward? Uh, well, I think, you know, this could probably be applied to everyone, but I, you know, reducing stress is important, really looking at some of the things that uh, help cause cancer to flourish, and that's sugar, um, stress, being out of, being imbalanced you know, sort of across the board is it's just going to be create a hostile environment in your body um, for health um, and, a, and a, you know, a place where cancer cells do flourish. So, you know, just not being obsessed about it, but just paying attention to, you know, there's a lot of vegan food available and just making sure I'm, I'm making good choices. Uh, it's easy to be a junk food vegan. I don't think that's helping the, anyone. Um, so there's that. And also just to be honest about it and not, assuming that, oh, I eat so much kale, I'm going to be okay, but to be really honest with myself um, about the risks that we do face. You know, we live in a polluted environment, um, and to just acknowledge that in moving forward. And I think everyone can do that, especially myself. Well, I, I sense, Miss Ann Sullivan, that not only have you helped other people get on the bestseller list with all the wonderful work you do there at MiracleWorkerPR.com, and we'll put all that in the show notes, too. I feel like there just might be a book in you about this experience. So file that away. Thank and thank you so much. Thank you for your inspiration, for all you do for the vegan movement, and for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was Take a real pleasure. Thanks, right, Anne. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And everybody else, stay with us. We're going to bring on Christopher Sebastian. Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller.
ever noticed that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. I hope that you are having your best day ever, but let's just say that you're not. And if you're not, I would like to share with you what happened to me today and maybe it'll help. So the first weird thing was I was at my weekly meditation class and we're all sitting there in beautiful, blissful silence and someone's annoying phone starts ringing. And my first thought is, oh, that person's going to be really embarrassed. And then somebody elbows me and points at my purse And I'm thinking, how could that be my phone? My phone doesn't make that noise. But I reached in and grabbed the thing and ran out of the room and saw that someone was calling. So I answered, and this woman says, you have my phone. Well, come to find out, she has an iPhone 7 with a red cover, and I have an iPhone 7 with a red cover. And when I saw one on the bench in the locker room at the gym, I just thought, that's my phone, throw it in, go off to meditation class. So we got that all worked out and taken care of. And I thought, well, you know, that's enough weirdness for one day. And then I was doing some Facebook messaging with our upcoming guest. And I was telling him a little bit about Unity Online Radio, which broadcasts this program and about the Unity Churches that are behind this whole thing and how the founders back in the late 1800s were very committed vegetarians and how Unity has had gay clergy for the longest time. But for some reason, Facebook spell check doesn't like the word clergy, so they changed it to orgy. So what I have to say to you, if this maybe isn't the greatest day you've ever had, is at least you didn't abscond with somebody else's phone and you didn't accuse your church of something scandalous. So Whatever kind of day you're having, and I hope it's great, it's going to get even better because the person to whom I'm going to introduce you now is a young man who is making such a difference in this world and whose legacy 80 years from now is going to be absolutely dazzling. Christopher Sebastian, and these are the words of Marla Rose, who wrote about him in very glowing terms. So thanks, Marla, for the intro. Christopher Sebastian is part verbal surgeon, part provocateur, and the elegance of his dexterity leaves me in awe. He is also an entirely modern creation, a man who uses his fabulous brain, incredible communication skills, and big old heart on social platforms to help shift the world in a more just, compassionate, and intersectional direction. And she says, and I'll just quote, I am honored to feature Christopher Sebastian McJetters. Her column is called Vegan Rockstar, and wherever he is appearing, he is a vegan rock star. Welcome, Christopher Sebastian. Oh, thank you so much. 
Well, it's such a thrill to have you here. I, we have met. You've uh, taught for Main Street Vegan Academy. Sometimes you're so busy. You're doing your work as a staff writer for vegan publishers, and you're dividing your time between London and New York, and you're talking to us today from Prague. I mean, what a Renaissance guy you are. How, how did all this happen? What, what, yeah. what did you used to be like, and what are you like now? Oh, God. Um, well, I used to not be vegan, and that's a pretty big deal for me. Um, but that was, that was at this point, um, that was 2004, so it's been quite a while. It's been 13 years um, since, uh, since I had gone vegan, and, uh, and that's, that's been an evolution all unto itself because I, I kind of started out on the fence, and I used to be really embarrassed about telling people about, you know, the fact that, like, I, like, you know, I made this huge commitment to go vegan right away, and then, like, I kind of, like, I kind of waffled in vegetarianism for a couple of months before fully committing, and, uh, and, and that evolved, um, and then I made the, the, the leap from, you know, just being vegan to engaging in vegan activism, and, uh, and then I kind of, um, I ended up at a place where I noticed that, 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 the people that I was spending my time around um, in the in the vegan community, um, the relationships that I had built, a lot of those relationships didn't quite understand the really complex um, connections between between speciesism and racism. And so, like, I just I sort of recognized that there was a, a bit of a need for for people to to kind of like get that because while we're all here, quote unquote, collectively for the animals. We weren't collectively here for like, you know, for 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 everyone in the community and making this an inclusive place. And, you know, and and I noticed that it was like a primarily white space that I was in and there weren't a lot of people of color around me. And so, like, I, I, I sought like, you know, I, I sought other vegans of color um, to, to really kind of cultivate a more diverse group of um, of people. So, yeah, like um, vegan publishers has been a tremendous help with that. Um Black Vegans Rock has been like amazing. Um, there are like there's there's such a wealth of like you know of 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 people of color in the animal rights movement and in the vegan community that we just don't hear from um, that you know that the kind of operate on the fringes are or are invisible because we just don't enjoy the same type of representation. Um, you know the Sister Vegan Project run by Dr. Breeze Harper is great. Food Empowerment Project um, by uh, Lauren Ornelas. Um, you know, vegan voices of color, um, you know, that's like, you know, that's, that's a really tremendous like resource that, that, that I'm, I'm seeing much more now. Um, and collectively free, which is right there in New York city. Um, they just put out an amazing video, um, showing, showcasing the diversity of, um, of, of faces that are a part of our movement. And this includes the queer faces, the, 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 the faces of color, and sometimes the queer faces of color like mine. So, so yeah, like that's, you know, that, that has been kind of a long evolution for me. You're so articulate. So do you consider yourself a word person? Is the verbal way of getting things across your gift in this life? For me, um, I, I would say yes. Like, I don't usually think of myself as articulate for a couple of reasons. Um, I just don't think that I'm that articulate, but other people seem to, and that's that's great. Um, but also, like, you know, the... There, there is like an element of like, you know, of, of seeing a black person as articulate that, that sometimes comes across like, you know, with, like with, uh, with, with without intention. Um, and so like, you know, so those are like those are things that I'm always conscious of when when I have these conversations. Um, like and, and, and yeah, like I just don't think of myself as like as, as particularly like witty or smart or articulate or eloquent as as or any of the other like descriptors that people would use for me. Um, I just like, you know, I, I do like to think of myself as authentic, um, because I'm not always going to say everything exactly right. I'm not going to always say everything in the most effective way, but I can be very passionate about it. Um, and like, and, and I know that like, if what I'm saying is authentic, if I'm saying it from a place that is honest and, you know, and passionate, then that's going to come across to people. And, and that's what I hope comes across to people when, when we're having these discussions, um, especially these discussions about, about race, class, and species. Well, what a beautiful, humble way to describe it. And you can just leave the um, 
thinking you're eloquent to everybody else, because we all do. So tell us, Christopher, for people who are new to all this, just give us the definition of intersectionality. Oh, boy. Well, like intersectionality, um, it started out um, in, I think, 1989 or 1990. Um, like it was it, it's a it's a word that had been coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. So she's a sociologist. Um, just, you know, just this is going to be like a, a horribly watered down version because there's no way to do a whole sociology lesson in just a couple of minutes. But, you know, but but just rec- this this recognition um, that that like people um, in marginalized communities often experience um, different types of marginalization at the same time. If we take myself, for example, I am a black person, but I'm also a queer person. And, um, and those two things coexist at the same time. Like, you know, I don't like, you know, I don't sometimes put on my black coat and then other days put on my, like, you know, my gay coat, like, you know, I'm a black gay male. Um, so like, you know, those two things, like they, they kind of like magnify or amplify the types of like, you know, the types of oppressive experiences that I'm going to have in day to day life. So, so that's, you know, that, that's, that, that, that works across the spectrum for like, you know, for, for not just people of color, not just queer people, like, you know, the, the term was coined for, um, for is like particularly black femmes for, for black women, um, just to kind of like describe the, the, the types of experiences that they may have in our society, um, especially in Western society. So, so yeah, like that's, that's the definition of intersectionality, but as, like, you know, as time has moved on, we're now looking at intersectionality, like at this point, um, a quarter of a century later. And like and more and more people have learned about this, this analytical tool to look at systemic issues, to look at systemic oppression. And the vegan community, the animal rights community has kind of adopted this framework of intersectionality um, to include other species. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, I think that that the way that we approach these discussions like should be with a more nuanced eye. Um, it, it should be inclusive or, or, or as inclusive as possible. Um, you know, so like I I personally like to think of like this this new style of veganism as what I call radical veganism. Um, you know, it's it's something that is like, you know, that that's that's much newer. That is like, you know, that's more self-aware. Um, and, and people are like, you know, are connecting these issues of environmental racism, of climate change, of like, you know, of, of bodily autonomy for other species and for ourselves, um, of, of queer identities for, for ourselves as humans and for the identities of, of other, um, other species communities, um, and the diversity of gender presentation that they have in, in, in their communities. And there is a broad, range of gender presentation in, in other species communities. Like, you know, um, the, the, the way that we, the way that we think about like, you know, sexuality, the way that we think about gender, um, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit archaic. And when we look at the, like, you know, the, the, the broad range of, of like representation that's out there in other species, um, and pay attention to that, like, you know, it, it, it becomes like crystal clear that like you know that that the kinds of discussions that we're having are are really sophomoric um and and are not sophisticated at all do you find that people in the traditional for 25 years intersectionality movement the maybe we could call it humans only intersectionality movement what do they think about all these vegans saying we're going to bring in non-human animals too oh boy um it's it's not very well received. I will like you know I'll honestly say that because and and you know and not without good reason because the the people in the mainstream vegan community um, who have kind of like taken the lead on intersectionality um, have mostly been people who don't experience oppression in the same way. So when like you know when when like human victims of like you know of systemic oppression see this. They kind of feel like it's a little bit disingenuous that they're appropriating the concept of intersectionality to apply it to other species and leaving the people for whom intersectionality had originally been invented behind. So they're trying to sort of remove uh, non-human animals from like, you know, from from like the oppressive institutions that we have, but leave the institutions themselves intact. Um, And I think that we're kind of catching up to that now. 
I think that as like, you know, as, as like, you know, as, as we examine intersectionality through the experiences of people of color, of queer people, of like, you know, of, of black women, um, as like, if we, if we preserve the framework of it and respect the framework of it um, as it was originally intended, then like, you know, then it has the capacity to be inclusive of, of other species communities. And in my experience, when I have conversations with people, um, you know, who like, you know, when, when I have conversations in black spaces, when I have conversations in queer spaces and express to that to them the need for species solidarity, because these issues are inherently connected um, and you can't like, you know, you can't divorce the, the, the two. Um, they're very receptive to it. Um, but but again, like it has to be handled like carefully um, and it has to be done with respect to those communities and also with respect to the animals, because we don't want to be speciesist in our like, you know, in our in our activism as well. Mm. So, Christopher, when you presented for Main Street Vegan Academy, which was a total wow. And I was told about you, you you'd spoken at NYU and one of our young graduates there said, oh, you have to get Christopher Sebastian. And she was so gushy. It was like, you know, <laughs> it was like you were, you know, from the hottest new band or something. <laughs> but I, I, I'd not heard you present. And people come to take this course from all over the world. And many of them see the whole picture, certainly, of, of veganism. And others maybe, you know, just got into it because they didn't want to have a heart attack. So I didn't know the kind of of a political or, or the kind of worldview that everybody was going to have. So I was a little bit nervous <laughs> having, you know, read some of your stuff and knowing that you say what you truly believe. And I have to tell you the people that I would have thought might've had a problem had no problem. Wow. Because you communicate in a way that gets past all the little dogmatic ideas that we all have, you know, certainly I'm right about this because it's what my mother told me when I was two, you you sweep all that away and just present the truth. And you told, if, if you can remember this particular story, it tied together the true story of a woman during the times of slavery of humans in the U.S. and so-called humane farming. Do you know what story I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, like that's the story of Margaret Garner. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that is a very, that's a, that's always a really hard moment in like, you know, in, in classroom settings or in like, you know, lecture settings when, um, when we start talking about like that history, um, because I, like, I know that it's a really sensitive history for a lot of us to, to discuss, but for me, like, you know, um, I actually included that because like, you know, it was, because it was so painful because it is so emotional and because it like, you know, it's very present for me, um, you know, as a black person who lives with an historical legacy of slavery. Um, you know, my, one of my favorite books is by Toni Morrison and that's the, the, um, novel Beloved. And, um, like for people who are not aware of what, um, what that story is, it's actually like it's a work of fiction, but it's based on the true story of Margaret Garner. And Margaret Garner was um, a slave, um, you know, obviously in, in the American South. Um, I think that she was on a plantation in, uh, in Kentucky. And, you know, the, you know, the like just very briefly, the, the story is that like, you know, she was treated well. Um, you know, Margaret Garner had a family and, you know, and and. She 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 wasn't you know she 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 wasn't she 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 wasn't treated harshly. She was allowed to like stay in the house. All of the all of the things that like you know that that, that we hear that are um, that 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 kind of like absolve um, like the, that absolve our system or absolve the the people in our country of like of the the, the nasty history of of slavery. Like you know she was the, like her 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 masters were good. Um, they were the good ones, and and she was well cared for. Um, but that wasn't that wasn't enough for for Margaret Garner. Um, that's that's not what you know. That's not what her life was about. That's not what her her legacy was about. Um, Margaret Garner understood that her freedom was more important than her treatment um, as being owned by someone else as property. So she took her family and she escaped from from that plantation and she made it as far as Ohio. 
Um, and the house where she was like, you know, where she was being hidden away had been surrounded by U.S. marshals. And with no opportunity for escape, she actually did the only thing that she felt like she could do in that situation where she took a butcher knife and she cut her two year old daughter's throat um, because she would rather see her child dead and free than alive and owned by someone else. And that was a very present moment for me. Um, because, you know, as, as a vegan, like our, our experiences are as such that we, we hear people often talk about like, you know, uh, about humane treatment. Um, and, and for me, the struggle for black liberation and the struggle for animal liberation isn't about how we're treated. It's about our inherent right to live free as free and autonomous beings on this planet, not be treated by the people who perpetrate white supremacist systems and institutions nicely, but for us to actually be truly liberated. Um, and so, so, so yeah, like that is, that is a really hard story for me. And the reason why that story had come up um, for me and, and why it was present for me at the time that I was doing the talk the, fir- the, the very first time was because I literally read a story like five days before about a, um, a bear who was being confined on a bio farm and she had escaped from her cage. And um, instead of bolting for it, instead of escaping, um, she actually ran for her daughter's cage and she smothered her child to death before herself running headlong into a brick wall to take her own life. And, you know, and that was like that, that was, I was gutted. That was so heartbreaking for me to read that story. And like, you know, and it reminded me of Margaret Garner's story. And this is a, me making a comparison between like, you know, between animal lives and human lives. And we can have a whole separate discussion about how white supremacist institutions have animalized blackness and humanized whiteness, um, you know, and, and how that relates to animal liberation and black liberation. But for me, that particular story is just a story about motherhood. It's not, you know, comparing, but it's just a recognition that like that, that, that all mothers actually experience similar emotions these like complex emotional relationships that we have with our families are real and for like you know for 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 whiteness to erase that in black families and for us in western society to erase that in animal um in animal lives that is an inherent wrong um and so we we do tell their stories in order to recognize and and preserve their legacies um you know because i don't want margaret garner's story to die um, obviously, Toni Morrison didn't either. Obviously, it spoke to her on some lo- level to to the degree that she actually wrote a novel um, around it. Um, and and so, yeah, like, you know, we tell that story. Um, I tell stories about my history um, and 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 I reinforce for people that, like, you know, that, that all of us need to be free. All of us need to be working together for liberation, for black liberation, like, you know, black solidarity and for animal liberation. Um, you know, species solidarity. Do you see a route or or a way or a string that we can pull or a path we can go on that has the best shot of uniting people in this country? Maybe we could just start here and then see how we do around the world. We seem so at odds. And sometimes I think that something like choosing to be vegan is just another way to separate people. You know, you don't even want to have Thanksgiving with us, blah, blah. But on the other hand, because animals are so neutral and because they tug at our heartstrings, I I think I've heard the most uh, social media downloads uh, on earth are pictures of kittens. (laughs) Is this possibly a way that we could start to come together? What do you think? I think that like, you know, that's, that's like, you know, recognizing the things that we, the, the, the things that we have in common is important. Um, and of course, like, you know, kitten videos or cute animal videos are something that we have in common, but like, you know, but um, I go back to, to something that Patrice Jones had actually said and Patrice is phenomenal. Um, she um, is one of the founders of Vine Sanctuary in Vermont. Um, you know, she's actually got a video and I would encourage people to look it up on YouTube talking about the commonalities of oppression. And so, like, yeah, we, we do have commonality when we like, you know, when we see these cute videos of, of animals. But I think that like 
it's it's so much more visceral when we recognize like you know collectively how we are oppressed and 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 how like you know and how we all want to be free and this goes across like you know all lines this goes across like racial lines it goes across gender lines and and like and and class and ability and all of these other like ways um, that 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 we are in this society um, and all of these other intersecting identities that we have, and and yeah, like when we recognize like you know the the that that division, when we recognize you know um, the the commonalities of of our oppression, then we can start to do the important work toward our liberation. Mm. Well, you are certainly doing it. You're such a powerful voice, and you manage to go onto the battlefield of our time, anyone who is not in an actual physical battle but chooses to go on Facebook (laughs) often has really got to suit up and psych up for that. You do it brilliantly. You have an incredible following. You move people, and you deal really well with people who say unkind things. So can you just give us a little... Facebook tutorial for animal activists and other people who are just trying to do the best they can in this very interesting medium. Oh, wow. Um, that boy, that's a really good question. Um, like, if there is, if there's a tutorial, okay. Um, just like total stream of consciousness here. I'm just going to let you know, put it out there. Um, people are going to use different tools, uh, like in, in the interview with Marla, I talked about some of the tools that I use. Like, I think that it's important that we do have like a range of like of, of methods to communicate our ideas to people. Um, we can't just always rely on one thing. Like, you know, Marla had cited humor, um, like conversation, uh, images as 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 three different like types of, of ways to convey our messages. And and I think that all of those are important. Um, like sometimes sometimes I'm funny. Um, you know, like, or at least I'm told that I am, uh, sometimes like, you know, I, I am just extremely passionate. Um, but like, I don't actually rely very heavily on images, um, because I think that, that the way that we, we, we distribute and, and consume images can sometimes be damaging. And, um, and that requires a lot more, like, you know, a lot more dedication. Um, and, and, and plus I really do actually enjoy connecting with people on an individual level through conversation. Um, because if I'm, if I'm engaging you in discussion, I'm, I'm learning what your limitations are, what you don't understand and like, you know, and, and trying to help you build that bridge to get there. Um, you know, and, and that requires a lot of work on my part because I don't necessarily understand what you know, what is, are, are the stumbling blocks in front of you or what your experiences are. I don't understand the experiences of women, not myself a woman. Like, you know, I don't understand the experiences of people who live in extreme poverty. Um, you know, I don't understand the experiences of people who live with the physical disabilities because, like, you know, that's not my lane. That's not where, I, um, where, where I'm from. So, so, yeah, I rely on them to tell me, like, you know, what you know, what their needs are and how I can meet their needs. And so in, in, in order for them to, to, to really have the empathy that, that they need to understand, like, you know, animal, like animal oppression and animal violence and, and exploitation. Um, I think that like, you know, some, sometimes like I, I, like, you know, like it's very generous to say that, like, you know, that, that I, I do a great job, like all of the time. Um, sometimes I am, I am speaking out of frustration. Sometimes I am speaking out of pain. Sometimes I do um, speak out of anger. And I think that that's perfectly natural. I think that that's important too. Like, you know, sometimes people are not just going to respond to like your, your passionate, articulate, well-articulated arguments that are full of logic, reasoning, statistics, and, and all of the other information that's presented to them because that's not how bigotry works. That's not how oppression works. People understand that animals are killed in order for them to eat. It's not a lack of understanding. It's not an intellectual block. It is like, you know, it, it, it's a desire to hold on to power. And again, that like works, um, works across like species lines and works across like, you know, like, like racial lines and, and, and gendered lines, everything else. Um, and, 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 and so, yeah, like, I think that it's perfectly natural to, to like, to, to sometimes be frustrated, to be um, angry and, and to experience hurt. And I think that it's, um, it, it's, it's good for us to embrace that. Um, you know, it, it, it's good for us to experience it and sometimes use it. Um, in the future as well. Uh, I, I think that 
you know, for, for me, like, you know, I do have, like, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with an incredible, incredible group of people. And I don't think of them as followers. I think of them as like, you know, as, as people who are allies and some allies are better than others. Um, and I know that there are ways that I need to be a better ally to, to like different groups of, of, of people as well. So we're all on the, we're all in this journey together. And I think that the, the most important thing that we can do is, and I actually heard this from Sherry Cole. Now that I'm having this conversation with you, I'm remembering it. Um, it was like maybe three years ago, I was um, at a talk where Sherry Kolb was speaking and she, um, Sherry had written the book, like, you know, Mind If I Order the Cheeseburger and other such questions that vegans get asked. And like, you know, and, and Sherry says something that was so simple and so profound. When you speak to someone um, and they're asking you something completely ridiculous and like for you, it's the 100th time that you've heard it that afternoon. Like, you know, um, and, and it's, it's sometimes a question like, you know, where do you get your protein? Treat that question as though it was the very first time you heard it. Um, you know, like for, for the most part, like we can gauge when people are just trolling us. But but, you know, but 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 more often than not, people are, are having this conversation with you for the first time. And like, you know, and, and sometimes I forget that I, I completely admit it. Um, and I just like, you know, just vomit all over someone. Rah! Um, but, but, you know, but I do remember Sherry's words in the back of my mind. You know, when you're engaging with someone, treat it as though it's the first time that you heard it. Because for them, it is the very first time. And, mm. and like, you know, and try to work with them and meet them where they are. So, so yeah, that's, that's probably the, one of the biggest um, pieces of advice that, like, you know, that I've ever heard. She probably doesn't even remember it. It's probably a... Th- <laughs> <laughs> I think she does. So just quickly, how, how much time do you spend every day on Facebook and having this? It, it is a very powerful online presence. How much oh, time do you devote to it? That can like, I like, because the, the, the possibility for burnout is so real. Um, like it, it waxes and wanes. I like, you know, I sometimes can spend up to four hours a day on Facebook um, sometimes like, you know, I'll go for several days without engaging on Facebook mm-hmm. at all, except to look at those kitten videos that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it, it, like, you know, it, it, it goes like, it comes and goes with like, you know, with, with my capacity to deal with, with people in a productive manner. Um, mm. and, and, and with like, you know, my, my, my understanding of things and my, like, you know, and, and what inspires me at a given time. Sometimes I won't engage like, you know, publicly with people on Facebook, but there are a couple of really awesome groups that like, you know, that, that generate discussion and share resources, um, you know, about like animal behavior, about speciesism, about like climate change, um, about like, you know, indigenous communities and their relationships with animals. Like so the Sister Vegan Project is a really great one. Um, Carolyn Bailey runs Animal Rights Zone um, on Facebook, and she's also got a podcast that's been going on for ages. Um, like the VegFest um, UK people who have been phenomenal and have hosted me a number of times in, in my talks. Like, you know, these are these are spaces that um, that I rely on for, like, you know, for, for getting ideas, for being inspired. And here again, like I have to say that it's about having a great community of people um, and, and not followers, but like but like smart um, brave, like really like committed people who like, you know, who, who, who share their ideas and like, you know, and, and I try to do, do the same in kind. And so, yeah, like, you know, sometimes my Facebook engagement is like as, as limited as watching a, a cat video and saving a couple of links that someone else has shared. Um, and sometimes it is like, holy smokes, I just read this awful discussion where someone doesn't understand speciesism at all. And that prompts me to like, you know, to, to make a post that somehow gets like, you know, 300 likes and 700 comments. Um, but even the comments that are generated from that start to like, you know, start discussions again. So like, it's, it's something that like, you know, it's something that can, it's a community that continually feeds itself. There are so many things for us to address. Um, there are so many ways that speciesism impacts our lives every day. Um, like, you know, like from, from like, non-traditional families, um, you know, like that include other species and, and other such inter, interspecies relationships, um, like capitalism, our re, like our resource consumption as humans, especially as humans in Western society, like, you know, all of the, like, you know, all of the different ways that, that, that we have relationships with companion animals, with wild animals, 
um, with with human societies and and like semi domesticated animals that have to exist in human societies. There are so many different um, conversations to be had that like you know it's an unlimited resource. Um, and like, you know, and, and like, you know, this is like, this, this is, this is kind of a journey. Like, you know, we're, we're like, I don't, I, like, I don't see speciesism being like, you know, completely wrapped up and we put a line through it in my lifetime. Um, but like, you know, but all of us are, are, are at different places in this journey. Um, and like, you know, and, and if you find yourself in a position where you're a little further along, then you, you, you reach behind you and, and try with as much patience as you're able to maintain at a given time to help that person to get where you are. Excellent. Superb. Uh, Christopher Sebastian, that's T-I-A-N, is where you will find this amazing man on Facebook. And as I said, I'll put all of the links and the URLs and whatnot um, on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Gosh, Christopher, we have come to the end of this time, and I am so grateful that I will be seeing you in June for the Master Class of Main Street Vegan Academy. So lucky to get to know people like you and get to know your work, learn from your work, and um, have it affect me and change me. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything. Oh, you are You're ever so welcome. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for being there behind the Main Street Vegan program. It means a lot. Check out their other broadcasts. And uh, if you feel like uh, giving them a little bit of financial help, they would appreciate that because they operate from our contributions. Everybody, God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. If you or someone you love has ever failed at anything, remember, accomplishments are often built on successful failures. Our greatest heroes have survived setbacks and losses of some kind. What makes them heroic is their capacity to have compassion for themselves, to know when to reach out for help, and to always, always start again. We learn to do something by first believing and then by doing it. In Unity, we celebrate the spiritual gift of strength given to us by our Creator. There is an unlimited amount of strength and courage available to you now. Trust it and expand your life. The result will be positive changes in you and the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. 
One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm. 